Thank you. Yeah, there's a few things that they don't tell you about preaching. One is like the five-minute countdown. When do you go up to the front? Because if you get in a conversation, then you look really rude because you've got to be like, I've got to go. But if you come to the front too early, you just stood nervously waiting. And also a sea of blank chairs. When everybody goes, it's like, oh, so thank you to those that move forward. And Jackie, I was ready to move the sofa forward for you. I was ready to do that. And then I had like three seconds to go. Um, so yeah, I've got deja vu a little bit from um, looking at Emma Manchester. Last time I preached, um, you know, not just when we come back from India sharing stories, but it was a year ago and I was talking a lot about cockroaches. So I've got a bit of deja vu right now. But today we're going to be talking about, about um, the kingdom amongst the weeds. And we'll be looking at a parable about the kingdom of God. But first, um, in Lucy's style, I just wanted to share a little bit of my story that most of you won't really know my story, partly because, uh, I don't know, I just don't think I've ever really shared it fully. So I'm going to share a bit of my story first, then we're going to dive into our parable for the day. I'm going to ask you to talk to each other, but only once. Okay, so I'll just tell you now, if you need to switch or go and sit next to your best mate, that's absolutely fine. Um, and if, please, nobody dart out of the room at that point. Um, and then I'll just bring a few of my thoughts, really, but we'll let the Holy Spirit do the rest. So my story, uh, I want to share how Jesus is slowly transforming me into who I was designed and created to be. So I grew up as a church kid. When I was about six or seven, uh, my parents decided to join a very small church plant, and, and that was it. We started doing church in houses, and then houses turned a bit, a bit like this story here, turned into like football grounds. Football grounds turned into banqueting suites, and then own building was acquired. And I used to love Sundays because I would go with my dad super early to go and set up at like the football ground or wherever we were, and he'd always get me a Magnum White ice cream on the way. <laughs> Honestly, breakfast Magnum White like every Sunday. Um, and we'd set off, and, and I was the only person on the setup team, small enough, because I was only about eight years old, to go underneath the steps in the football ground and crawl under to drag out all the kids' work boxes. And no other adults could fit in that space, and they had to stack them really tightly because the cupboard was just like one bit. So that's what, that was my job each Sunday. I'd go in, drag it all out, and feel really, really important. I was on fire for Jesus. And I just remember in those kind of early years encountering Jesus in an undeniable way. Um, you know, especially during worship, there'd be times when I'd just be like full to like, I couldn't hold in my joy and happiness. And as a kid, I was like, this is Jesus. There were times when I'd have prayer for things like headaches and they'd just instantly disappear. And I just, you know, I, I remember as a kid feeling, I know, I know the presence of Jesus. I even, this is really embarrassing or really cool, I even set up a small group in my house when I was 11, and we used to do, like, we'd go to the loft, that was my bedroom, put tea lights, of course, you need a tea light if you're doing a small group, and we'd put some nibbles out and crisps and stuff like that, and, um, you know, we'd get the guitar out, we'd sing a few songs, if my parents must have just been like, oh, this is amazing, and we even got my mum's friends to be guest speakers, so I'd sit with my 11-year-old friends and we'd say, today we've got Tina coming to be a guest speaker, and she'd come she'd share and then she'd go and probably laugh downstairs with all the other adults. Um, and then I guess my life just took a massive dip and a massive turn. Um, and my friend died of suicide at age 13 and that's, I can pinpoint that now as being the thing that just sent me on a spiral. So I couldn't understand or come to terms with that death, especially at that age. 
And so I just started going completely off on a, the wrong track. I suppose anger just ruled me um, and frustration. And I would, you know, hanging out on graveyards um, with people that I probably shouldn't have been doing, getting up to mischief, camping out in the woods, telling my parents I was one place, having to come and find me, you know, with my friends, getting up to no good. I remember one time uh, getting on my bike and running away, you know, going to run away, packed my bag with things I definitely didn't need. I think I had a hammer in a bag once. I don't know what, like, I didn't know what I was going to do. It probably just seemed dramatic at the time. And so I set off on my bike, and my dad's chasing me in his car, and I'm going through Ginnells. Ah, he can't get me there, and he's finding me again. And in the end, I had to ring him in the morning and ask him to bring my packed lunch for school because I was really hungry, and he did that. He turned up with nothing else but just a packed lunch, and he drove me to school, just with love, knowing that I was really struggling. And so anger and frustration, they just had a big hold on me. And I guess for my whole teenage life, I felt like I was living a double life. I mean, a lot of us might connect with that. I felt like I was going to church, and I knew that God was there, and I knew something was there. Or maybe I just dreamt it all when I was a kid. Uh, maybe I wasn't actually, but I knew something was there. But I didn't know. I loved being at church, but then I was doing things I shouldn't be doing at the same time. And my anger even got to the stage where my parents flew me out to Germany to go on an anger camp and we had to learn to sail back to the UK with other angry kids and a man that definitely looked like how Jesus would look, in my opinion. He had a beard and sandals, and he was lovely. And so, you know, we, yeah, I learned a lot in that anger camp, actually, about myself. But, um, so, yeah, bless my parents during that time because... Oh, there were so many doors in the house that just had massive holes in them. I would do the classic rip up your coursework, throw it down the stairs. Felt like a good idea at the time until you've got to restart all your coursework. You know, and they just had to bear with me. So I'd walked away from God. That incident had sown something that just definitely took me off on a wrong track. But as I grew up and went to university and trained to be a teacher, I definitely connected with the angry kids. Um, there was a God-shaped hole in my life, and nothing would fill it, nothing at all. And I searched and tried to fill it, um, and I decided I needed to go back to church. And I spent six months walking into church buildings and crying, crying, crying. And I couldn't even make it through the doors. Each, each week, I'd have to go to a different church because I was just so embarrassed. Like, I just would walk in and they'd start and I couldn't stop. And people would come to me and say, like, has somebody died? Are you okay? And in the end, I'd just say yes, thinking, I don't know what to say. And everyone's, oh, let's get, you know. And I'd leave and, and you know, I didn't know what was going on. And I realize now that Jesus was just bringing me home and the Holy Spirit, through those tears, through those just I couldn't even get through the door before his presence was just healing everything in my life that had gone on. And I knew I had to give my life back to him. And so that day when somebody said, who would like to give their life back to Jesus? I put my hand up and um, yeah, that was the start of something amazing. So my life looks very different now. And I just know that I know that I know, thanks Emily for your preach earlier. I was thinking, I don't need to say anything. You just said it all. That, um, I know that's because of the work that God's doing in me and nothing to do with what I've been doing. So I accepted that offer of being accepted into God's family. And that's kind of what this parable is about today. So let's get to our parable. We're going to look at Matthew 13. Verse 24 to 30, if you've not got a Bible, there are some at the side, if you've got it on your phone, or however you want to read it. 
Um, I'll read, and then I'm going to ask you guys to answer that, that one question where you need to talk to each other. So Jesus is talking to a crowd of people. He's sharing stories and teaching about the kingdom of heaven. So in Matthew 13, verse 24 to 30, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So before we look at any interpretation for this, which Jesus, I'm so glad, gives us in a minute, I just want you to think about this question and maybe just turn or, or you can think about it just by yourself if you'd like to or have a quick discussion. How might this be relevant for you today? And if you want to just scan over the verse again because you zoned out while we are just reading it, feel free to do that in this time. So how might this be relevant for you today? Let's just engage our brains a little bit before... I then spout loads of stuff out at you. So I'll just give you one minute. Have a quick chat. How might this be relevant for you today? What do you guys think? What do you think the weed and the wheats are? There's no wrong. There's no wrong answer. Give you 20 seconds to sort of finish up that. Right, thank you guys. And just like the teacher in me, when I would give a task to students, some people are like straight to it because they know the teacher's watching. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people are like, hi, what have you been up to? But I love that still. But yeah, thank you guys. <laughs> I'm glad, I hope those chats are fruitful anyway. Um, so how might this be relevant to you today? Well, I'm just going to look at a bit of background information that you might not know about this parable before we then read the interpretation together. Jesus loved to tell stories. His parables were a way of teaching and a way of using an earthly analogy 
to explain kingdom realities. And I'm just going to say that again because that blew my mind a bit. I was like, yeah, that's a really good point. His parables were a way of teaching and using an earthly analogy to explain a kingdom reality. When Jesus was talking, farming was everywhere. People farmed, that's what they did. You couldn't go out to Asda, buy your loaf of bread, come back. The community would rely on the wheat in those fields to produce a good harvest to survive on. So to sabotage someone's crop, or to take revenge on someone for wrongdoing you, or to ruin someone's harvest, it wasn't uncommon for a person to go and plant weeds in the field. So when Jesus was telling this parable, his audience would have fully connected with that analogy and understood probably more than we immediately do today. There was even a Roman law, I found out from Andrew, thank you, about this, that, you know, against doing this, that's how common it was. So the interesting thing about the weeds, and other versions you tears, is that this particular weed looks identical to wheat. You wouldn't know that it was a weed until the time for it to bear fruit. And here's a picture. I wonder if you can guess which one is the weed, which one is the wheat. On my left or right, there's the wheat and there's the weeds. So helpfully, Jesus gave this interpretation to his disciples. So we're going to look at that now to see what Jesus is saying about this parable. So the, this is Matthew 13, verse 36 to 43. The parable of the weeds explained. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him. You can imagine it, can't you? We don't know what he's on about. Jesus, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. I wonder what Jesus was thinking then. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man, Jesus. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear." So I'm going to give us a helpful summary now. When I'm learning language, I'm learning a tribal Indian language called Aria. Uh, I always have like the English and then the Aria underneath and I can like figure out what, what's going on. So I'll, it will come up on the screen too. Jesus created people who belong to his kingdom in the world. The devil came and very simply, the devil, a fallen angel who's rebelled against God and tries to get us to rebel against God, so the devil came and planted seeds amongst the people of Jesus. Both grow together. Those seeds, guys, sorry, those seeds could be doubt, fear, mistrust, lies, hate among those people who know and love Jesus. Both grow together and they look very similar until the fruit starts to show. The servant wants to know, shall we, shall we pull them up? But God says, no. 
Because as you gather, the people who don't know and love Jesus yet, you will be pulled up, you will pull up the people of God's kingdom, those who do know and love Jesus. Let them both grow together until the end of the age where my angels, not you, will come and separate those who are in my kingdom and those who aren't. This is the scary bit. They will throw them, this is verse 42, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. When I've shared with people which parable I'm doing this week, they've all gone, ooh. I'm like, ooh. I get it from verse 42. Even I'm like, ooh. But can I just point out a few things? The devil does not create. We are created, this is your gospel message, in God's image, and God sent his son, Jesus, who is also fully God, to walk among us, to show us how to live, and ultimately to die and then beat death as a sacrifice to bring us back into relationship with God the Father. But we have a choice. We get to choose. Do we want to follow Jesus? Out of all the decisions I've made in my whole life, this one has certainly been one of the best that I've ever made. This parable isn't saying the good people in the world are the wheat and the bad people in the world are the weeds. I think there's good and bad in all of us. There is good and bad in all of us. And thank you, Jesus, that you've made a way for us to be close to the Father again, even in that mess. But this parable is telling us that the people who have acknowledged what Jesus did and been born again, basically chosen to follow him, are the wheat. And at the end of the age, at the end of this life, they will be with God for eternity. And I think that is the, ooh, because what happens if you're not? And while creating this, whatever you'd like to call it, preach, sermon, talk, random thoughts. I've been on a massive journey and I've had so many questions. Am I a wheat? Yes, I, have, I do accept Jesus. Am I a weed? Can wheat still do bad things and still be wheat? What about the wheat that pretends to be good but really like, does bad things? Does God accept them as wheat? Can weeds be good people? What if you're a weed and no one tells you that you can become a wheat? Oh, so my brain's been like this. And then I did what I always do, I rang my dad. <laughs> and I had a wonderful chat, and I really hope this, this analogy really strikes a chord as it has done with me. Everything clicked afresh for me. My dad said, Lucy, we've got four daughters, there's four girls. Lucy, you are in my family. I'm like, yes, yes, I am, dad. And he said, out of all the four girls I have, each one is different and unique, but you are all in my family. Some, as we heard earlier, think back to anger camp, have gone astray and done some things that they might regret. But that doesn't mean you're kicked out of my family, Lucy. Your behavior doesn't determine if you're in or out of my family. You can't get kicked out, even if you do terrible things. Of course, as your father, I want the best for you. I really want you to make choices that keep you on track and that mean you're healthy and happy. But my love for you, and Adam touched on this earlier, is unconditional. I love you so much, no matter what you do, and that won't change. And I was like, oh, wow, yes. Put Jesus in that place. And let's just think about that for a minute. Jesus wants us in his family, and we get the choice. 
I didn't really get a choice to be in my dad's family, but we get that choice. And once we decide and give our lives to him, we become wheat. And yes, some wheat will get angry sometimes, and some wheat will behave in unwheatly ways. But Jesus' love for us is unconditional. There's nothing, and Craig said this once, sorry Craig, I'll pick on you again, and that blew my mind again. He said, there's nothing that you could do more or less to make God love you more or less. And I really felt burdened this week to the point of a real heartache at one point for those who actually go through the whole of life not even knowing that they were designed and created by a loving God, that they can have access to a relationship with him. I felt really sad. I cried a lot this week. What about those people that just don't know or even have access to knowing? So this this parable, I'm going to kind of move into some points now. This this parable creates, um, sorry, the scenario that Jesus creates in this parable is that of a contested space. And contest means to engage in competition to attain like power over. Although this parable shows a contested space, it's helpful to state that God has ultimate power. And let's make sure we recognize that and acknowledge that in our lives. But I'm going to look now just at a few angles. I've gone into a bit like a triangular prism. We're going to look at the past, the present, and the future of this parable. But I also really want to think about the kind of up, in, and out that we talk a lot about in church. We're going to think about God throughout, but we're going to think about ourselves and our church family, but also our community, those around us. So the past. Where did the weeds come from? There were two questions asked in the first bit of the parable. And the first one was, where did the weeds come from? Okay, that was in verse 27. So God's rule has started to be contested very early on. And it goes right back to the fall where Satan first sowed temptation on God's earth with just a question. Did God really say? And it's been replicated ever since from simple whispers. Is God real? Why would he let your friend die? And I was raised in a Christian home, and that question tripped me up big time. To huge heart cries, like, why did God allow her to die? How does God allow war? Why do innocent people suffer? Why does God allow cancer? Why didn't God protect me? And I remember how that one incident, my friend dying, completely derailed me. The enemy came to lie, just like verse 25, but while everyone was sleeping... His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. The enemy came to lie, to accuse God, and to lock me in anger over what happened for years. And when we experience hard, difficult, and even devastating things in our life, the enemy loves you to think, where is God in that? How could God allow that to happen? So let me just for a moment pause and think about ourselves. What's happened to you in the past that might have knocked your relationship with Jesus? Maybe there's something that's knocking or rocking it right now. Well, I just want to bring into the light some of the tricks of the enemy might help you with this. So some of the tricks of the enemy, he comes to accuse. He comes with lies. He'll encourage us to blame God when bad things happen. And he'll get you to compare yourself to others. And it'll keep you locked up, in, sorry, locked up in feeling judged for the sin when actually you've been forgiven. And the enemy is not just trying to trip you up. Let's think about those around us. Let's kind of look at the out. He's trying to trip up the whole of mankind. Are there people around us who are being tricked by the enemy? Jesus gave us eyes to see 
Sorry, Jesus, yeah, Jesus, this is my prayer. Jesus, give us eyes to see those who you want us to share that good news with. Because the good news is we don't have to live listening to the enemy. We have someone with all authority on heaven and earth that has our ear. That moves, that moves us into the present day. How do we live in this present space? So the second question that the servant asked in the parable is this. Do you want us to pull them up? Let's take matters into our own hands. We can sort this out. And Jesus is very clear. No. So how do we live in this space? We're living side by side in a space with people who've accepted Jesus and those who haven't. And guys, we're living in a very messy world. All you have to do, which I don't do very often now, is turn on the news. All around us, brokenness. Domestic violence, addiction, abuse of power, relationship breakdowns. In India, even just recently, I've seen horrific things that have broken my heart. Children dying needlessly because doctors might refuse to give them medication or because they come from the lower caste. Parents starving their baby to death because she was born a girl. And around you, there will be painful situations in your life. This is a messy world, which is why we need this good news. And the parable shows us that those in God's kingdom will live in this life right next to those who aren't in God's kingdom. And this is so important. As wheat, we can live in the light of Jesus. So again, we're going to just think about ourselves Have we accepted Jesus into our lives? And if not, the offer is there. Everybody has that opportunity to accept God's gift. And if yes, you've already accepted that gift, you are in the family. But just like that conversation I had with my dad, we're all on a journey of transformation. If you have accepted Jesus into your life, maybe you've been baptized, is that it then? Is it just a decision with no change in our lives? Do we have to then start trying to work really hard on being better, stopping that bad habit, trying to be perfect? And the answer is amazing. We have the Holy Spirit to come and help us with all that stuff. We can't change on our own. But with the power of Christ in us, he will slowly transform us. And what an exciting journey that is. Maybe you've forgotten to ask the Holy Spirit for help. Maybe you've been trying to live life in your own strength. Maybe you desperately need to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit today. And that's how we live in this space, I believe. The wheat among the weeds. We allow the Holy Spirit to come and help us bear good fruit in this life. Because let's think about those around us who don't know Jesus. Those who, by definition, are weeds just because they haven't accepted Jesus into their lives. And it should break our heart, I believe to see that this incredible transformation in us and to feel that joy, that peace, that love that Jesus brings, juxtaposed with those around us who don't have access to that. No matter what people's story is, Jesus has open arms. The gambler, the prisoner, the kind lady who lives next door, the school friend that we see every day at the school gate, I believe this parable is trying to give us eyes to see all that that Jesus wants all to be in his kingdom. He wants to gather everyone up and store them in his barn. But the reality is, guys, that's not going to happen while there are people in this world that don't know him, who don't have the chance to respond to his invitation of new life. 
Now, we're just going to talk quickly about a danger of this present day. One of the dangers of living in this contested space is that we might think, well, I'm the good guy. They're the bad guy. Like the story in Luke 18 of the Pharisee that went to pray. Do you know that story? He was thanking God he wasn't like that evil tax collector. This is dangerous. Please don't be deceived that that it's like an us and them situation here. That there are good people to look down on the evil people. Jesus clearly states in the parable, he does not want us going around pulling up weeds or judging who is the wheat and who are the weeds with a them and us mentality. We all have good in us intermingled with sin. So I'm just going to think about three applications for maybe different people groups. Maybe you fit into one of these, maybe you don't. And then we'll have a little look at the future. So maybe you've been raised in a Christian home and you don't think you're actually that bad, actually. You feel like you're quite a good person. But deep down, maybe you feel a bit like that elder brother of the story Jesus told in Luke 15 about the prodigal son. He was so judgmental of his prodigal brother. Maybe you're listening to this or streaming online and you feel there's no hope for me. That you've messed up your life and you hate yourself for the things that you might have done. Maybe you're enslaved to something that you just can't stop. A porn addiction, unfaithful thoughts in your marriage, habits that are ruining your relationships around you. And I want you to know today that there is hope for you because Jesus loves you. He loves you enough to die and he wants to give you a fresh start. And maybe you've just got comfortable with some of the behaviors in your life that are destructive, that distract you from God constantly battling with that one with Facebook, and are not helping you with your life. You might be relying on your own strength to change. And I don't know how many times Will just laughs at me. I start diets or plans to save money. I set a timetable up for prayer and worship or Bible reading. And I just fail after a couple of days because I'm trying to do this in my own strength. But instead, we can come to the Holy Spirit and he will transform us from the inside out, not from the outside in. And just like the parable, in the parable, the weeds and the wheat looked the same until, this is so key, they started to bear fruit. So what fruit are you bearing? Is it the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. Probably missed another one. I know for me, my time away from God, the fruit of my life was anger. I was horrible to be around. I was not kind and I couldn't see the good in people. That was my fruit. But as as I stood in those churches, crying and crying and crying, the Holy Spirit was doing a work in me that I just can't really describe in words. I started, as I started to seek first the kingdom of God, transformation started coming. And now, does that mean I'm perfect? No. The Holy Spirit is still doing a work in my life every day and will be until the day that I die. But are we seeking first the kingdom of God or have we got distracted by the ways of the world? Because, sorry, because that's what the devil wants. And if you want to work out whether you're being distracted by the ways of the world, think about how you're spending your time, your energy and your money. And that just leads me on to the future. Thank God he won't let this go on forever. This parable is all about the end of time. People going to spend eternity with God or to spend eternity separated from God. And that is a whole preach in itself that I won't go into today. But let's again think about asking God to, to help us. But let's think about us, the in for a minute. 
How will we respond to what the Holy Spirit might be saying to us today? Do we need to plug back into God as our power source afresh and draw on him instead of trying to live by our own strength? Do we want to accept his invitation and take a leap of faith today? And then let's think about others. Are we going to prioritize those who have not heard the gospel or had the chance to respond? Are we going to be faithful to God, sharing the gospel in word and deed, giving people who don't yet know Jesus an opportunity to respond to the good news? So I'm just going to share a story now as I sort of come to a close. So, band, feel free to come up. I was walking through an estate this week where my kids go to school. And we, get, we usually go to the park, and it's an interesting estate. There's always lots of colourful language. There's always a fight between a parent or a child, or there's just people fighting a lot on that park. And um, we were constantly picking up rubbish and all sorts. And, you know, when I went through the park this week, I saw this. And I thought, oh, I'm doing a preach on weeds and wheat here. And here we've got a field full of dandelions. They're weeds. And I was thinking, God, what do you want to tell me? What do you want to say to me? I can use this in my preach. I'll get a picture. I thought, what do you want to say, God? And, and shamefully, my first thoughts were, oh, maybe even in a dodgy area, God still wants to be there or something. I went judgmental. I went. And it was only my daughter who revealed that to me. And I was thinking of all these things. And, or maybe it could be that even when there's brokenness, like God can still break in in this area. And then do you know what? Something incredible happened. Olivia shouted at the top of her voice, Mom, weeds, they're so beautiful. (laughs) And I just felt like weeping because here was me judging that neighborhood. I taught there for 12 years. I love that area. I've got a heart for it. And you know, the heart of Jesus was pouring out of my daughter's words. Aren't they beautiful? And that's how we're ending today. And I feel hugely challenged. So I want us to just have like some time now to just to respond to what we feel the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. It might be that you haven't given your life to Jesus and you're thinking, oh, maybe that's something that I should just do. Maybe you're thinking, what fruit would I like in my life? The fruit that I'm seeing is not the fruit that I want. I'm, you know, these things are happening I want to see this fruit that I know is going to come from the Holy Spirit. And maybe people are just coming into your head of people that you know God's saying, go and tell them, go and tell them, go and be with them. Who's God putting on your heart? So we're just going to respond now. So I'd encourage you, if you want to stand, feel free to stand. If you want to stay sat, feel free to stay sat. And we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit now and I'll hand back over to Graham. Let us just remember those words. Weeds, aren't they beautiful? And Jesus, thank you that that is what you speak over us. That is what you speak over your people. That is what you see. And even when we can't see it, you see it, Jesus. So we just ask now, Holy Spirit, bring your presence and flood this place. Come into our hearts, God, and just reveal things to us that we just need to see today. Help us to respond. And Lord, I pray for people in this room that have not given their life to you, who maybe are feeling like, whoa, what is she on about? I don't know. Or maybe they're feeling like a pull, a tug, 
that you're gently drawing them, I just pray, Lord, that you would just speak to them. And maybe today might be the day that they decide to, yeah, I'm going to just go for it. Or maybe you might just keep watering that beautiful seed that's been planted.